is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. So here's the question. What did the NYPD, the Secret Service, the FBI, and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office all have in common? The answer? They're all busy preparing for the indictment of Donald J. Trump. So welcome back and buckle up, folks, because I think we're in for a bumpy ride. But after two years of stops and starts, the wheels of justice are finally turning. And I can say with some confidence that the walls are closing in on the 45th president of the United States. We are learning that the Manhattan DA's office has asked for a meeting with law enforcement ahead of a potential Trump indictment. This is coming to Fox News from a source in the courts. The meeting, which was requested yesterday and has not been set yet, is to discuss logistics for some time next week, which would mean that they are anticipating an indictment. Since Trump is perhaps the highest profile defendant of all time, the logistics of just bringing him into court in Manhattan or wherever he might be indicted are massive. Preliminary discussions are happening right now about how to coordinate local and federal forces, not just to keep Trump safe, but to keep everyone safe. Secret Service will take the lead in what they will allow or will not allow. The source cautioned, mentioning, for instance, that the decision to handcuff the president, a former president, or not, they will set the tone and will escort him into the courtroom. There will be coordination between all of us, the source said, but we will defer to the Secret Service. The battle will be between Secret Service and DA Alvin Bragg. They will decide how and when he'll get into the building and they are not going to leave him. The source believes that the former president will still have to be fingerprinted and processed like every other Defendant. And no matter what the indictment is and no matter where the indictment comes from, just getting Trump into the courtroom is going to be a three-ring circus. As we wait for indictments to be handed down, Trump is clearly losing what's left of his fucking mind. With so many crimes to keep up with, the flailing ex-president has taken to his own truth social to cry to his constituents. In all caps, lengthy, with questionable punctuation. But it does indicate that he will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Those are his exact words. And then immediately following those words, quote, protest, take our nation back indicating to his followers that they have to, quote, take our nation back, which is obviously concerning. And it makes you wonder whether or not he knows that he's actually maybe walking himself into more allegations that he's inciting violence. It's like screaming into the wind, Donald, because you don't have the power to stop this freight train from coming. But just a quick sidebar here regarding Truth Social. Our friend Hugo Lowell dropped an exclusive on Friday in The Guardian with the headline, Top executives at Trump's social media company started to become concerned last spring about $8 million in murky loans that they accepted. It turns out that auditors later discovered that the money had ties to, yeah, wait for it folks, Russia. And True Social was only weeks or days from going under. But then who came to the rescue? They suddenly got $8 million wired to them from a bank in the Caribbean nation of Dominica, a bank co-owned by a Russian oligarch. And now DOJ, namely the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, is investigating this for possible money laundering. It really looks like Trump's strategy is to commit so many crimes all at once that prosecutors can't keep up. So back to the indictments. What we, the general public, can expect to happen next 
is that the district attorney prosecuting, and that's whichever case I'm talking about, will inform Trump's counsel first that the indictment is coming before they inform the rest of us. But if you think that Trump is unhinged now, just wait. It's called karma boomerang, bitch. I mean, you have to check out to see that the social media post that this fucking idiot put out stating that he's going to be indicted on Tuesday and that he actually wants a protest. He's looking for another January 6th insurrection type of situation. But the truth is, none of us can predict when, where, or how the indictments will come down. It might be like the domino effect, where one case falls and then the rest follow in succession. Or they just might trickle out over the next several years. So take a deep breath, my friends, because this is most likely a marathon and not a sprint. But here's just one more nail in Trump's coffin. The DOJ obtained evidence on Friday showing that Trump officials spent good money to make sure the president had really lost the 2020 election. He did, and the official told him as much. So once again, Trump knew that he lost. But what does he do? He fucking lies bigly anyway. You knew, you knew, you knew, and you know people are still listening to you, and you're still lying. Trump's lawyers all eventually figure out what MAGA really stands for, which I said the other night on Chris Hayes. Make attorneys get attorneys. Yeah, that's what fucking MAGA is. Well, According to the Washington Post on Friday, Chief United States District Judge Beryl Howell has at least partially granted a request from United States prosecutors working for Jack Smith to force Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran to testify before a grand jury about the classified documents that Trump stole on his way out of the White House. Corcoran has previously refused to answer investigators' questions, citing <laughs> attorney-client privilege. But Howell believes that there are grounds for a crime-fraud exception to be made. Fuck it, I called that shit months ago. And Corcoran has already lied to prosecutors. <laughs> now he's not alone, because so has Christina Bob. Remember her? The one that signed that there are no more documents at Morilardo? Will they work with prosecutors themselves, or will they, like me, end up going down because of Trump? Well, the answer is, I don't know. But I do know that we'll find out soon enough. Now, Corcoran, Haba, you know, someone who's considering signing up for, <laughs> right. for this assignment, like, what would you say to him? I would say I hope that you watched me as I testified before the House Oversight Committee. When I turned around and I had said to both Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, I know what you're doing. And I know the plays that you're trying to run because I wrote the playbook and it didn't work out well for me and it's not going to work out well for you. The smartest thing that a lawyer could do if Donald Trump asks, you know, to represent him in this nightmare that he is going to be living, run, run as fast as you can. And moving to the Republican controlled shit show, otherwise known as the House of Representatives. Capitol Police claim that they were never informed that Kevin McCarthy was going to give fucker Carlson all the footage from January 6th. Now, while he might have the right to do it, he never coordinated with the Capitol Police, unlike the January 6th committee that bent over backwards to maintain transparency and to cooperate with the Capitol Police. So the question, my friends, you have to ask is why? 
And it's because that they were all on the same page. The Capitol Police and the January 6th committee were all after the truth. But McCarthy and Carlson are doing just the opposite. They are trying to hide the truth. I heard chanting, kill him with his own gun. There was a very good chance I would be shot to death. I thought of my four daughters who might lose their dad. January 6th was neither an insurrection nor deadly. One latched onto my face and got his thumb in my right eye, attempting to gouge it out. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. I was electrocuted again and again and again. Then the crowd joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. These are not rioters. These are people who wandered over from a political rally. A man grabbed the front of my gas mask and used it to beat my head against the door. Let them go. McCarthy and his whole posse of right-wing traitors are just trying to cover their own asses because they participated in an attempted coup of the United States government. Patriotic Americans are being prosecuted for peacefully protesting a stolen election. And no matter what the fuck that they say or how many hours of tape that they edit, the insurrection happened. People died, cops died, rioters died, and Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed. Not because she was a tourist, but because she was a paramilitary terrorist trying to break into the chamber where our senators cowered in fear for their lives. Lefty Dick DeSantis. Small Dick DeSantis. Diseased Dick DeSantis. I don't know something about his dick. Uh, what about something on the way he looks? Sweaty Ron. Ron de sweatiest? He is Italian. We should try to use that. Rigatoni DeSantis. Ah, uh, I don't know. Rigatoni is classy, though. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. What about... Meatball Ron. Ooh, yeah. So here's some good news. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled to keep in place a temporary block on Douche Santis's Stop Woke Act, despite the forces of evil trying to lift the block. And this anti-woke bullshit, aka the Individual Freedom Act, is a DeSantis brainchild that has been much talked about, but has never actually gone into effect because first, it's faced legal challenges since its inception. And secondly, because it's fucking unconstitutional. You learn the story of civil rights icon Rosa Parks back in elementary school. She became the mother of the civil rights movement after she refused to give up her seat to a white man on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama back in 1955. Parks' action inspired the Montgomery bus boycott, which led to the Supreme Court ruling that bus segregation was unconstitutional. It is a fairly well-known story. But 68 years later, Rosa Parks' story is being, shall we say, rewritten. DeSantis is also trying to erase black history. I mean, this week, he said the story of Rosa Parks should not include race. I mean, serious DeSantis, what the fuck? So, Miss Parks just walked to the front of the bus and it was a big deal. Why? He's not a serious candidate for president and his campaign will go absolutely nowhere. But boy is Florida paying for his sucking up to the MAGA base. He's penalizing a hotel for holding drag shows. And I'll remind you that hotels are privately run operations, but Meatball Ron is shutting down the drag shows on the grounds, get a load of this shit, of public indecency. And because he's trying to quote, protect children. I mean, scratch your fucking head, folks. Really? Public indecency? Protect children? 
Kids love Miss Doubtfire, and everyone loves Dom Edna. Plus, RuPaul's Drag Race isn't going off the air anytime soon. It's a nice try, Ron, but normal people are too woke to buy whatever the fuck it is you're trying to sell us. Two queens stand before me. Ladies, this is your last chance to impress me and save yourself from elimination. So on to some international news. Putin has been charged with war crimes. Yeah, could you imagine? Vladimir fucking Putin has now been charged with war crimes, including the unlawful deportation of children after a six-month investigation by the ICC, to which the Kremlin, of course, responded, and I quote, We don't recognize this court. We do not recognize the jurisdiction of this court. This is how we treat this. Now Putin can't leave his country or he could be arrested. But it's too little too late. All of Ukraine is a crime scene. The Republicans won a Putin victory. They promised to cut off aid to Ukraine if their side wins. You heard that right. They want to help Putin win. Threatening the United States with nuclear annihilation. It's sick. It's wrong. It's MAGA. If their side wins in 2024, Putin wins. And the blood will be on our hands. The longer the war goes on, the less likely Ukraine is actually going to win and eradicate Russia from the borders. And it's very tough for NATO and the United States to isolate Russia now that the Chinese are stepping in to lend support to Putin. It remains to be seen whether or not the Chinese will give lethal aid to the Russians. But if they do, things are guaranteed to boil over into something akin to a world war. It has just arrested five more people linked to the killing and kidnapping of American tourists. And the cartel that investigators believe is responsible for the crimes is now apologizing to the victims' families. The Gulf Cartel also handed over five of its members to local authorities. Now Mexico and the United States are currently at odds. And the two main drug cartels in Mexico supplying Americans with fentanyl are the source of the rift. Cartel members were responsible for the murder of two American tourists just a few weeks ago. The cartel even made some sort of an apology. And I, I mean, it's weird, I know, but talks were scheduled to discuss the crisis. But the United States then went ahead and pulled the plug when the president of Mexico claimed that their cartels don't make or sell fentanyl. Just like you can't negotiate with terrorists, you can't make a deal with outright fucking liars. Our own DEA says that they know where the drug traffickers are and that the Mexican authorities would rather spy on the DEA than go after the cartels. And who can blame them? I mean, the cartels are scary. But it's a very bad thing when the criminals are actually more powerful than the law. But so it goes in Mexico. And lastly, the French are known for their laissez-faire, but not this week. Tense days in France and more are expected as thousands of people took to the streets, protesters in the streets of Paris and other cities across the country overnight, setting fires, some of them damaging buildings. And we have seen images of riot police using tear gas to break up those crowds. Police arrested more than 300 people overnight, mostly in Paris. Protests are raging like the LA riots after the Rodney King verdict. Because President Emmanuel Macron went around the French Parliament to push a pension bill raising the age of retirement from age 62 to age 64, 
While some see the measure as a way to force French society to grow up, literally, I mean literally, for them to just grow up, unions and a full three quarters of the people see it as a slap in the face. Like us, the French are rethinking their work life, real life balance, and apparently, the French want to prioritize their health and happiness over their careers. They already have a shortened work week and long summer breaks built into their system. But according to Macron, that system won't hold and the country will go broke. We wish them the best of luck over here and let's hope we always have Paris. I love Paris in the springtime. And now for the main event. We welcome back to the show legendary newsman David Korn. Korn is the bureau chief of Mother Jones and an on-air analyst for MSNBC. Korn and Michael Isakoff co-authored a book, Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. He's also the author of four New York Times best-selling books and was the longtime Washington editor for The Nation. For a good read, check out Our Land, his twice-weekly newsletter that covers everything from news of the day to entertainment, but all told in Korn's no-bullshit style. Korn has been published multiple times, but his latest bestseller, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy, is an absolute must-read for anyone interested in understanding the unprecedented times that we are living in. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so David, what do you know about this fraudster that was just picked up here in Manhattan yesterday? I think his name is like, and I'm going to mispronounce it anyway, Guo Wengui or Miles Guo, as he's sometimes known as. This guy allegedly bilked his anti-communist followers out of billions. And he travels with, of course, the likes of Steve Bannon and Rudy Kaludi Drunken Giuliani. Who is he and why is his arrest such a big deal? Well, I'm fortunate that one of my colleagues at Mother Jones, Dan Friedman, has been one of the best reporters on this guy, breaking multiple stories on him, as well as his connection with Steve Bannon. You know, it's he is a, you know, one of my favorite uh, descriptions in journalism of anybody is fugitive financier. Uh, it's a phrase that came up a couple right. decades ago, right? Um, and he, you know, claims to be um, at odds with the Chinese regime, the Chinese government, and has been living in the United States. There are all sorts of conspiracy theories about him that I that I won't go into. And he has developed a cult-like following of people of Chinese um, Americans and people of Chinese origin and others who are opposed to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And there's a lot of reasons to be opposed to them. But he has been out there working with Steve Bannon to make the you know, the, the, the crusade against uh, the Chinese government, the number one issue anywhere, everywhere. They, they're out there, you know, they're claiming that Joe Biden is in league with the Chinese government. And Bannon has been, has received lots of financial aid from this guy. In fact, remember when Bannon was arrested for his fraudulent deal 
allegedly fraudulent deal raising money for yeah, he was i think he was on his um 37 million dollar boat or 100 yeah, yeah he was on his yacht um and the you know mother jones dan freeman broke this great story you know months ago in which we had a recording of steve bannon saying that if before the 2020 election that if trump lost he would declare victory you know the january 6th committee played it go out of attention right that was on a call that Steve Matt Bannon was making to Guo supporters. I mean, they are two peas in the pod. He's, be, you know, Guo's become the thunder of a lot of um, Bannon's political activity, including, you know, social media sites and all, a lot of the things that are mentioned in the indictment that are considered that the that the, that the uh, feds are calling fraudulent businesses are somehow involved with Bannon or he was involved in the in the origins and there's a whole it's a very complicated daisy chain of money and corporations or the bottom line is that this guy who yes has hung out with um Rudy Giuliani who you know raised money to bust some people to um pro-Trump rallies during when Trump was claiming that the election had been stolen, now is busted for being a con man. And as you put it you know, correctly, the people he conned were the people who are opposed to the China, you know, the Chinese government that he claimed to be their leader, their their heroic crusader. <laughs> so his own supporters are the people that he is he is said to have conned and 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 stolen money from I you mean, know anyway, what's so said but, but you asked how significant this is i think it's highly significant and you know bannon has a podcast he has his own political outfit now he has money of his own from his business days but um this may all get caught up in some of the glow stuff and what drives me crazy here is that bannon has not been charged in this case as well. And I want to bring you to something that I saw in the papers. Guo co-founded two nonprofit organizations. The first one was called the Rule of Law Foundation and the Rule of Law Society that prosecutors alleged that he used, right, to attract a following who believed in the ideas, as you said, his fellow Chinese-Americans. Now, those nonprofits were linked to a group that was promoting the theory that the novel coronavirus was likely engineered in a Chinese lab. Now, the rule of law organizations were co-founded by Guo, and guess who? Steve what Bannon. You, right. Steve Bannon. If you could show, this is what I have been yelling from the rooftop, and you've been on my podcast several times, and we've talked about this both on air and off, I ended up going to prison. I was charged as being a co-conspirator to Donald Trump's you know, dirty deeds, his improper behavior. And here we have now Guo, who has been charged, and he's held without bail, but yet not Steve Bannon. And the two of them are the co-founders of the organization that was bilking people out of all of this money, as well as promoting a theory that we all know is complete and utter bullshit. Right. I mean, this is, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Bannon has made this anti-China crusade, you know, part of his recent effort to 
gain political influence. He's even attacked Elon Musk for being soft in China. And you mentioned those two organizations. I'm, I'm you know, looking at the story that uh, my colleague Dan Freeman uh, wrote uh, yesterday based on, on this indictment. And, you know, Bannon was also initially a board member of a of what was called GTV, a Chinese language mm-hmm. video streaming company that prosecutors say was part of Wells fraud. And, you know, the, there were a lot of other interconnections here, um, not just the ones that you mentioned. I mean, he really, the two of them have really become partners. I don't want to say partners in crime, although maybe the case eventually. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting that Bannon was charged with a similar act of fraud, uh, you know, that he received a pardon from Trump in that case, raising money for a political cause, the, the building a wall and and on the Mexican border, but he was charged again um, by the New York State last year in this. So, um, a- as you know, uh, Michael, the first indictment in an investigation is not always the last indictment. There are superseding indictments, other things come on. I mean, I mm-hmm. have a hard time believing that Bannon won't be at least a witness in this case. And this just, you know, shows that there is this contagion on the right in which fraud and and even if it's not fraud grift grift is the key thing here they are just you know whether whether they're grifting people on china whether grifting people on 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 on, uh, coronavirus conspiracy theories whether they're grifting people on the big lie i mean i get you know i'm on the all these mailing lists for Republican and conservative entities, causes, candidates. I know I'm getting a little bit of field, but I can't tell you, you know, how many, you know, I, I get up to a dozen a day from various various Republican and conservative uh, outfits, all trying to raise money with lies, conspiracy theories, or with the worst political rhetoric, even from people like Kevin McCarthy, that the Democrats are out to destroy the country. I have to send five you know, five dollars. Marco Rubio, they want to, you know, make everybody in Florida take woke classes. I have to send him five dollars. You know, that Joe Biden wants a completely open border and let anybody come in, including terrorists. So I have to send five dollars to the RNC. I mean, it's again and again and again, you know, you see it with Tucker Carlson. I know I'm going a field in which he's not telling the public what he believes, that Donald Trump is a big fat liar who he hates. Instead, he's out there pushing the great replacement theory, conspiracy theories about Ukraine. It, it and, and, you know, and I know it sounds hyperpartisan to say this, but I also get Democratic fundraising emails and things from liberal and progressive groups. And I write the fundraising uh, letters sometimes from Mother Jones, which is a nonprofit. And I don't see anything of this level of grift on the left and on the DNC. There's, it's, it's just sort of, kind of baked into the Republican side of things, which is why I think Donald Trump fits so well into this. It's, you know, this, this phony salesmanship. And now we see it revealed again, with, particularly with Bannon, but with Guo, who is operating in this world that you and I probably don't pay a lot of attention to, of Chinese Americans and others who are very focused on that issue. But he had built up this major following with the help of Steve Bannon. And then it turns out the guy who claims to be a billionaire is bilking these people. I mean, what's crazy, I, I too get a lot of those Republican, I shouldn't say a lot, 
I get them all, just like you do. I get them from Donald. I get them from McCarthy. I get them from Don Jr. and Eric and Kimberly Gargoyle. And I get them from everybody that sends them out. Dear patriot, dear friend, dear supporter, you know, it's like, I need your help now. It's like, we're under attack from the liberal left media, from the radical left media, the lying, you know, liberal. I mean, it's amazing to me. And they come out in droves. You don't get one per day. You get 50 a day, 60 a day. They just keep coming every 5, 10, 15 minutes, you know. This is your last chance. You know, you know, we need 12 more supporters. It's, I've never seen anything like it. Um, definitively, yeah. the DNC doesn't do anything like this. Now I get, like you, I get um, requests for fundraisers. I got one the other day from Adam Schiff. Uh, someone is hosting a function for him in Los Angeles. And if I'm going to be there, we'd love to have you, you know, uh, come as a supporter. You know, it's $1,000 for the ticket, what have you. Totally different. I mean, it's a, that's an event. The other one is simply, just give me your fucking money. That's all that yeah. I want. And then tomorrow I'm going to send you a whole bunch more of the, oh, by the way, it's not nothing for nothing. You send me... $250, and I'm going to send you a plastic card that says you're a member. Now, of course, the card could be bronze. It could be silver. It could be <laughs> gold, titanium, diamond, black centurion. I mean, it's truly amazing. You know, show your support for, the, you know, for your favorite president. It's really comical to see what they do. But more comical than that is the fact that there are people that buy into this shit that actually do it. Yeah, Donald Trump is going to send me a card. Now go to Starbucks and see if that's going to get you, you know, a free cup of coffee or even a nickel off of your, you know, bente latte. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, you know, I get all those Trump emails too. And it's like, um, Donald Trump wants your opinion. Please don't share this email with anyone else. What do you think? You know, should he run for president or not? We will let him know what your reply is as long as you answer this email and send us five dollars. Um, you know, it's like, or you know, click here for a confidential report that nobody else will see when they're sending <laughs> this email out to a million people, and the confidential report says Democrats are trying to beat the House Republicans. We need your $50. I mean, that's not a confidential report. I mean, a lot of these things, you know, would violate if they were done in a commercial setting, FTC uh, guidelines for fraud. And that's exactly what Guell was doing. Again, I'm looking at my colleague Dan Freeman's report. And like he, he, he was raising money for the streaming service. Uh, he was raising money for a group that would basically take the place of the Chinese government when the Chinese government fell apart. Um, he was creating what were called G clubs, I guess G for Guo, and you, for, for his fans. And you could pay $10,000 to $50,000 to get a membership in one of these G clubs and have a, quote, gateway to carefully curated world-class products, services, and experiences. Um, he had loan programs. It, it, it was, it's just... I can't get through this whole article that, that Dan wrote. I mean, it, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. And unfortunately, he raised hundreds of millions of dollars this way. And he purchased a yacht. And, and Sounds like uh, billions, more like that to me. Yeah, but, you know, he, he had a H-coin, you know, um, 
that I guess is a form of crypto or something. I mean, every yeah, it's way a form that, of crypto. Every way, every way that you could, he could grift. People. By the way, don't forget, David. David, don't forget that Donald tried to get into the crypto space too. Remember, they were going to have a Trump coin. Yes. No, I, I know. And said they had those crazy NFTs and which yeah. make him look like a superhero. But anyway, you know, so. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. He's not. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's not it's a superhero. Simple. Yeah. Or Jesus or an astronaut. Um, yeah. Well, well I think so, if, but, I, if and, I'm not mistaken, know, if I'm not mistaken, his name, if he was a superhero, would be Captain Blubber. <laughs> But no? you know, it, 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 it's kind of, you know, it's 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 wrong. And it's also sad that these people who do care about a real issue, whether they're right or wrong about these things, they care about and then they 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 look to a, a leader, a hero, a crusader for their issue, then get, you know, then they're they're, they're just played for rubes for marks, which is, you know, yeah. the Trump way of doing things. But it's happening throughout the Republican and conservative cosmos. And um, you know, that's what Guo was doing. Uh, and, and, you know, the, you know, I read the indictment. You know, these, the case looks strong. I mean, I don't think, you know, it, we will see what happens in trial. We'll see if it expands to include Ban and, and others. Um, but, you know, this is a major deal. And just as we learned the other day in a story from The Guardian, you know, Trump's social media, you know, truth social outfit, seems to have been funded recently by $8 million from a Russian-connected source. I mean, again, grift, grift, and more grift. Um, it's, I mean, I'm surprised they have time to, to, to literally do anything else. And I would forgive people for, for, for assuming or wondering or guessing or speculating that, you know, Trump is you know, running for president because it enhances the griftability. Yeah. So, David, let me ask you this then. If in fact Alvin Bragg, and I'm not going to chime in on it, but I'm going to—I want your opinion because you really do have your ear to the ground. Mm -hmm. If in fact Alvin Bragg brings an indictment against Trump in Manhattan, do you think that other indictments, like as an example, the Fulton County um, Fannie Willis investigation, will quickly follow thereafter? And then, where do you think that Jack Smith? Is that in the prosecution yeah. of Trump for those two matters that he's working on? Well, you know, the, uh, just the other day, uh, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, you know, which has been really good in covering the Georgia investigation, uh, reported that um, there were there was yet another phone call of Trump pressuring um, a Georgia official uh, in the post-election period in 2020 to have a secret, or not a secret, but a special session of the Atlanta Atlantis, excuse me, the Georgia State Legislature to um, overthrow the election. But in that story, it also quoted a grand juror who sat on the grand jury, which has now been disbanded in favor of a new grand jury that will decide whether or not to indict. And this person said, you know what? If you could hear what I heard, if you could read what I saw this country would be less divided. There'd be no question about what happened. That's as far as this quote went. But it would, you know, it's an indication, as we heard from the foreperson of the grand jury that has since been shut down, that the evidence is really strong and that there are things about the case that we don't know. 
This is what happens in investigations. You, know, you unfortunately know that. You know, there's stuff that comes out publicly, and then there's stuff that prosecutors have that could be legitimate or illegitimate, but that we we don't we don't know. So I think the Atlanta case, if you're looking at just what ha- what's come out in the last couple of days, the Georgia case, it may be stronger than we expect. I don't know what Greg's decision or what this indicates regarding the timeline for an indictment there, but we know that they, they've moved from the investigative part to now deciding whether or not there should be an indictment, which I'm guessing should be a shorter time frame because this is going to be based on the investigation work that the first grand jury did. They have a, a different system in, in Georgia than we have in a lot of the rest of the country. So I, I, my assumption is it shouldn't take too long a time to look at what the grand jury recommended and get an indictment or decide not to indict you know on the jack smith thing you know it that it, it's kind of you know the, this is the special counsel appointed by merrick garland to look at trump and the um the, the classified documents and other documents he he stole or ran away with in the white house as well as anything regarding the uh election period the post-election period in january 6th they have been subpoenaing people, getting testimony, fighting Mike Pence to testify. By the way, you know, an aside, Mike Pence, Pence this past weekend said he wants to see Donald Trump held accountable. Yet Mike Pence won't cooperate with the investigators on this case. So I don't know what how much he cares about accountability. But nevertheless, you know, Smith, who, who has a reputation as a fierce and deliberate, deliberate investigator, seems to be mounting a robust investigation. I I have no sense, and I don't know anyone who does, of where he is in terms of possible indictments on a timeline. We know in your case that with you being brought before the grand jury and with Stormy Daniels being, being brought before the grand jury, and most importantly, with the DAs inviting Donald Trump to testify, that these are the steps that are only taken at the very end of the investigation before there is the decision to indict or not indict, which is why, you know, myself and others, you know, widely quoted as believing an indictment is close weeks next, you know, early next month, who knows, but that they're getting to the stage where they have to defecate or get off the pot, right? They have to make it. There's not, there's not much else for them to do now, except make a decision on whether to proceed with an indictment. So I, I'm guessing that will come first. I'm also assuming that whatever happens there is not going to have a tremendous impact on the timelines for the investigations in Georgia and at the federal level, that they will just, they're proceeding as they are, and they are just going to have to, in some ways, put on blinders and let what happens in New York, which seems to be going first, happen while they do the work that they do. Yeah, so... Just to rehash Georgia as it worked, they had the impaneled special grand jury, right? It's also referred to as a special purpose grand jury. And they they impaneled them specifically to investigate an alleged right violation uh, of the law of the state of Georgia. Now, it was impa- it's impaneled to deal with one issue. And that, of course, was whether or not the conversation that Donald had with Brad Raffensperger was perfect or was it for a specific 
um, purpose to affect the outcome of the election. But here's the interesting thing. I do think they are also looking at things broader than that. The fake electors that were set up and whether, you know, anything related to this effort, not just that one phone call, but anything else related. I mean, that's why they had... Agreed. Uh, Agreed. However, the difference that exists with Georgia versus what New York is dealing with right now with Alvin Bragg is that the special grand jury in this case, unlike a regular grand jury, um, they only produce a report on the findings, but they don't issue indictments. So therefore, what ultimately happens is they issue the report, and the report is that you should impanel a grand jury. And so now the testimony, the subpoena power of the grand jury, you know, will come out. And so they are a little behind. It's not as if that I believe that the Georgia grand jury, that the special grand jury can issue an indictment and then they would be, you know, front and center. I do believe, like you, that um, New York, that Alvin Bragg will be out first. Which, of course, brings up a whole slew of other issues, but we won't even talk about them yet. I want to ask you something completely different than this. We're seeing Proud Boys and other Capitol rioters going to jail, being held accountable. Is there any scenario where lawmakers who participated in January 6th are finally held accountable? Because I imagine that Mark Meadows and Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, will be, or at least should be, indicted in Georgia. But then there's other people as well. Like, what about Jim Jordan? What about Jeannie Thomas? Or any of the other coup plotters? I mean, are we going to accept the notion that these people are untouchable? I mean, is Merrick Garland just slowly, I mean, is he just going slowly up the chain? Or is he just the wrong guy for the job for now? Well, that's a a question that we don't have a basis to reach a verdict on yet. You know, he, everything that you've just mentioned on the federal level is now under the purview of Jack Smith, the special counsel. So whether it's Jim Jordan and Scott Perry, who, you know, basically tried to suborn the Justice Department to overturn the election results. I mean, I think in some ways uh, that case is the strongest legally i mean i've ta- i've written about it i've talked to um legal experts that basically trying to corrupt the justice department is an act of defrauding uh the american public and that's what they tried to do by replacing the acting attorney general with somebody who would you know without reason declare the election was had been corrupt and allow trump to you know stay in the white house or whatever it was i mean there's a lot of um uh, you know, there's a, there's a good case to be made that that issue, which I think has gotten a lot less attention than the more visible you know, January 6th riot, how Trump colluded and plotted with Jim Jordan, C- Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and others to basically take over the Justice Department so that it would, dec- you know, ask Georgia and other places to invalidate the election results Um could lead to a, a criminal prosecution. I think it's a complicated case and probably a difficult one to bring. But um, I, 
my get my hunch is that 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 is indeed being looked at, as well as issues involving the January six. I mean, it's I I do believe that these are probably difficult legal questions for Jack Smith, who's now in charge, to find mm-hmm. his way through. And then and remember the thing is, you know, you know, we all want to see accountability, and I'm I'm there on that. But at the same time, we want prosecutors you know, to abide by the general standard, which they tend to, that they won't bring a case unless they think they can win a conviction. And if you have a very novel legal theory that sometimes can make it harder to win a case, um, if you just, you know, it depends where the case is brought. It takes sometimes just one juror to say no to something. And I, I think the last thing you want is to necessarily indict Trump and have him get off because the case is not strong enough or you're not able to, you know, nail it down. So, yes, I would like, you know, not just the guys in the front lines who busted through the doors and windows of the Capitol and called for, you know, executing Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi to get, in, you know, to get in trouble. But, you know, you you know, you know how a mob, bo- a mob boss works better than anybody else I know, Mike and like Michael. And that they sometimes say, "Well, you know, take care of that guy, right?" They know how to mm-hmm. say things and not have that legal responsibility. Oh, I didn't know he was going to beat him up. Take care. I just want him to talk to him, right? Let alone throw him in the East River, um, and and that makes it very hard legally to nail the MFers who are often in charge. And that's kind of what we have in this case. But I I do believe that Jack Smith, of everything I know is career up to now, is looking at this stuff clearly and you know and fairly to see if he if there are cases to be brought. So whatever one might have thought about Merrick Garland being hesitant or reluctant to engage in what could be called a political prosecution, I think now Smith is probably the right guy to put in this position, probably the right thing to do to have a special counsel on some of this stuff. And we won't be able to know if he's doing the right job until it's, you know, until we see either it's over or there are indictments. Yeah. You know, but I do have to say to you, I'll tell you a funny little story, right? Um, so the Associated Press, I think it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, Jill Colvin uh, ended up a writer. She's a great writer. And I, I, I really appreciate her a lot. But yesterday, uh, Donald Trump, through his allies, filed an ethics complaint against Ron DeSantis. I don't know if you saw that, which to me is so comical. And it's just so typical. Yes. Of Donald. So Donald goes ahead and he has one of his um, Trump supporting super PACs. I think it's uh, MAGA Inc. They file a 15 page complaint against Ron DeSantis claiming that Ron DeSantis has breached F- uh, FCC, um, um, FEC rules and regulations. And I think the quote that they used was leveraging his elected office and breaching his associated duties in a coordinated effort to develop his national profile, enrich himself and his political allies and influence the national electorate. I mean, electorate. This, uh, this is this is fantastic. You cannot make this stuff up. He's afraid that Ron DeSantis is getting more and more popular. Though I'm not so sure Ron DeSantis 
would be the candidate anyway. But he's now going ahead and he's using the FEC as a way of attacking his political opponents. Very similar to, for example, what we use the National Enquirer for. It's truly, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, and his meaning, Ron DeSantis's um, spokesperson turned around and said that it's really improper to use this system in order to try to affect a political run or to use it in this sort of way. I just think it's it's so typical Trump that while all of this shit's going on. All of these investigations, his eyes are still, his eye, got to give this, this fat ass a lot of credit. His eye is still on the prize, and that's the office of the presidency, so that he could negate all of this other stuff against him. Yeah, Focus. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is, you know, we're just in the preseason here. You know, before the main event, right? These, you know, in terms of if DeSantis gets in, you know, it's just going to be a, a, a nuclear battle. You might remember it was like a month or two ago, the Trump camp and the DeSantis camp were at war with each other over who was or wasn't a pedophile. I mean, this is like coming out of the gate. This is what they're arguing about: who's, you know, who's easier or who's more of a pedo. Um, than, than the other in, in this fight. And now Trump is, you know, using the FEC, as you say. I mean, this is one reason why I've written, I've said, and, I, and I've wondered aloud you know, why DeSantis is going to run and maybe it'd be best for him not to, because he'll get in, you know, if he gets into this, you know, it will be the biggest mud wrestling fight between Trump and DeSantis. And my dad, I may have said this on the show before, one of the things I remember him telling me is never get in a fight with a skunk. You both end up smelling, but the skunk likes it. And Donald Trump likes the stench. He likes fighting in the gutter. He believes that you know he, he can survive the mud while the people he goes up against can't, which has been proven true politically in, in, in the past. So uh, DeSantis is going to have to figure out, and I, I see no reason to believe that he can do this better than Marco Rubio or Chris Christie did in 2016, or Ted Cruz or Lindsey Graham, how to, you know, fight back against a guy who fights dirty, fights, uh, uh, who cheats and says anything, say that your, you know, your father killed Kennedy, you know, he all attacked the, 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 how, what your wife looks like, um, and, and even go beyond that. And, it's hard to come back. It's hard to, to deal with that and look dignified and come out on top. And even if, even if DeSantis figures out how to deal with Trump in the primaries and indeed wins the primaries, and you can say this about any other Republican candidate who may get in the race or who's in the race like Nikki Haley, if they win, well, you know one thing for sure. Donald Trump will not accept a loss. Psychologically, he can't do that. He will claim that the rhino Republican establishment rigged the primaries against him. And he will make damn sure that whoever the nominee is, DeSantis, if we're talking about him, um, doesn't win. 
He will continue to fight throughout the general election through the fall campaign. He will tell his people, don't send money to the RNC. Don't send money to DeSantis. He'll tell them not to vote for them. And a lot won't listen. But a lot of Republican voters, I think a couple million at least, will and will not you know, follow the Republican nominee. Um, that could well hurt that Republican nominee. But more or less, there will be a civil war within the Republican Party. So whoever the nominee is, DeSantis, he will have to be fighting that civil war, the other side led by Donald Trump, while also fighting and competing against presumably Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is. That's a really particularly difficult challenge for a first-time presidential candidate to pull off, you know, to win. So, I, you know, why go through that if you could wait four years and have a clean shot at, at, at the nomination and at the presidency? So, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, people are talking up Ron DeSantis now, but, you know, what does that mean? You can ask President Rick Perry. You can ask President Scott Walker. You can right. ask, ask President Christie. All the President Jeb Bush, of course. All these people who were touted before they, you know, really ran nationally. And so uh, I have seen no reason to believe that DeSantis is a Superman candidate who can defeat Trump and then figure out how to run against the Democrat while fending off this civil war. Uh, that Donald Trump will will ignite. I mean, can you, you know, you know him better than I do. Can you envision any way in which Trump loses gracefully, accepts the loss, and goes on to support the Republican nominee who defeats him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no, there is no way. It's, if he's the loser in it, which is the worst thing in the world for him, for his fragile ego, he will figure out, how to fuck DeSantis over to make sure that he loses. I mean, it's just, he'd rather burn down the country than to accept yes. the loss. But so, and you know, what makes Donald really dangerous is the people that seem to be around him or supporting him. They act in ways which are complete, it's completely un-American. So, for example, you have like Elon Musk as an example, who's now become, and I can't believe it, you know, I, I really used to think the guy was incredible. Now, he's basically a right-wing troll, hanging out with guys like, or being friendly with fucker Carlson. And both of these guys are trading in lies and conspiracy theories. And both of them have enormous influence in different ways. Of course, Elon Musk is the CEO of Twitter and billions. I mean, richest guy in America, that's certainly for sure. And Tucker Carlson, I think, is the highest ratings on Fox. Then, of course, you have a guy like Peter Thiel, who just caused a bank run on SVB. I mean, do we have any reason to believe that these men are purposely destabilizing the country with some sort of an authoritarian endgame in mind? I mean, that's a really good question. You know, let's look at Tucker because we have his emails and text messages that have come out in the Dominion lawsuit against Fox. You know, he clearly did not believe that, there, that the election was rigged against Trump. Um, he said he hated Trump and wanted him gone. Yet on TV, he's out there, you know, praising Trump and defending him. And more recently, creating, you know, this, this disinformation narrative 
by cherry picking a few video scenes out of 40,000 hours to make it look like what we saw with our own damn eyes didn't happen and that everything was kind of peaceful and calm inside the Capitol on January 6th. Um, why is he doing this? I mean, I used to go on Crossfire a lot with Tucker. I knew him pretty well. And, you know, he presented himself back in the day as a journalist who worked for some conservative outlets like the Weekly Standard, but who was more journalist than ideologue. And the way that I would say I'm more journalist than ideologue when I worked for the Nation magazine and the Progressive, uh, and excuse me, and, and Mother Jones. And, you know, and I kind of took him at his word, and he's, that seemed to be the case. But he's done a total flip, you know, you know, in the last 10 years. And you have to wonder, you know, is it, you know, is there an end game here? Does he want to be run for president? I don't think so. But is he's making $30 million a year. That's a lot, awful lot of incentive for him to just, you know, play Tucker Carlson. He's like playing this character, Tucker Carlson, rather than telling people what he really thinks. And that character, you know, comes up with conspiracy theories. Um, he's even the, the, the other day talking about the 9-11 trutherism and he's talking about he's talking about the Kennedy conspiracy theory and advancing it. Um, and is he doing this because it puts a lot of money in his pocket? I don't know. And then you move to Elon Musk, who just this week, you know, looking at the video that Tucker Carlson put out was amplifying the same message. You remember the shaman, the, the crazy QAnon guy, Jacob Chandler? Okay, so he he confessed that, you know, to acting violently in the Capitol. He got four years for it. So Tucker Carlson finds a clip of him walking peacefully through the halls of the Capitol and being escorted by a couple of cops, Capitol Hill cops, and says, look at this, he's behaving peacefully. You know, and so Elon Musk then puts out a tweet saying, why did this guy get four years for a peaceful walk through the Capitol escorted by the cops? Now, there's a lot of other video out there of him bur bursting through the doors with the angry mob as they broke through windows and broke through the doors and ransacking you know, the Capitol. And Elon Musk, I mean, I'd like to think that a guy that accomplished is not so damn stupid, but you can find that video in a moment. We've seen it. Um, it's been out there. But he now he, here he is amplifying to his 86 million, whatever it is, followers, Tucker Carlson's disinformation about this guy. It's basically saying he was framed and he, he was, you know, and he was falsely punished. And, and for that, I kind of say, OK, I can see why Tucker's doing it. He's doing it for 30 million dollars. Why is Elon Musk? doing this when he has you know uh SpaceX Tesla he's worth a couple hundred billion you know he's trying to 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 stabilize Twitter and make it work for not just alt-right people but for every all its users and here he's out there just amplifying this disinformation and no one's asking him to do it like what is your opinion on what Tucker you know he's so, you know interesting David I, I want to jump in for a second here because What's really interesting, and I've said this on a previous uh, podcast, one of the problems that these folks, like the Elon Musks, like the Peter Thiels of the world, these mega, mega billionaires, 
are not taking into consideration is that if Donald Trump should become the president of the United States and he's successful in becoming the autocrat that he wants to be, don't forget, he's got some practice. Now he just has to tweak what he's done before in order to make it so. The very first person that Donald has picked up and brought to, let's say, you know, the Doral and thrown into his, what do you call it, um, his catering, you know, his gaudy catering um, hall, the first person that's going there is going to be Elon Musk. And he'll strip him of everything. Because that's what an autocrat does. That's what an autocrat can do. That's what Mohammed bin Salman did when he became the deputy crown prince. So bring them all in. Take them all in by force. Round them all up. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to sign over their fortunes to me. And that's what, that's what Donald's going to do. Because that's what an autocrat does. I mean, but since I'm speaking about Russia for a second, I do have to ask you this one. Because there was that clash between the Russian fighter jet and the American drone. And there's really not a lot of details going on. And there's just that one footage of it dumping of uh, the jet, dumping some fuel and clipping the drone and so on. But the question I want to ask you, and it's really concerning, Lindsey Graham is saying that if it happens again, that we should go to war over it. What's your take on that? We're talking about a fucking drone. I know, it's a drone. To go to war over this. No, no. I mean, going to war over a drone is wrong. Uh, but you, you can go to Radio Shack and get another drone. I mean, I'm, I'm diminishing it a little bit. Um but it, 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 there are some people who are just kind of mad for war. And Lindsey Graham, the, the interesting thing is that the Republican Party now has, you know, we talked about a civil war between DeSantis and Trump. But, you know, there's a civil war in the Republican Party, too, on the issue of Ukraine and, and Russia. When you have Marjorie Taylor Greene and now and Trump and now Ron DeSantis all basically saying there's no reason for Joe Biden and America to be supporting Ukraine the way the way that uh, the administration has been supporting it. I mean, DeSantis a few days ago, you know, quite pointedly in a statement he gave to Tucker Carlson, who's been a Putin, you know, uh, cheerleader for years, you know, said called the this he called the war in Ukraine a territorial dispute, as if you know two states in the United States can't figure out which way a river goes. Um, no, it, it was a horrific genocidal invasion on the part of Putin against Russia. Now, does that, that doesn't mean we have to go to war against Russia, but this indicates, you know, it shows you that DeSantis and and and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker Carlson and others are echoing and aping the propaganda and disinformation from Putin. And you got to wonder why. I think in some cases they like Putin. In some cases, I think they're just blinded by the uh, enmity towards joe biden so anything he does just has to be wrong and they have to take the other side and i think they're playing to the base on this but it's really you know rather disgusting that you have them you know uh, basically adopting the putin line for cynical reasons DeSantis, when he was a member of the house you know you know made speeches declaring that the united states had to stand with ukraine against russia and thought that obama wasn't being strong enough in supporting ukraine and now, you know, things haven't really changed that much, but his position has changed because the Republican base um, has been led by Trump and by Marjorie Taylor Greene into believing all support of Ukraine is wrong because Joe Biden is the one doing it. 
And then on the other hand, you have the far right hawks like Lindsey Graham, when, you know, there needs to be a degree of sanity or there ought to be a degree of sanity in the Republican Party on foreign policy matters. But right, you know, it's sort of like ricocheting between these two extremes. And, you know, that will be that's it's very it's very dangerous. And you have to wonder what might happen should Trump or DeSantis get into office and what that means for Putin's own designs and you know which which is not just about Russia, but it's really about, as you just mentioned earlier, the the the, the stampede of autocracy across the globe. You have CPAC and others hailing Viktor Orban, autograph of Hungary, and this whole uh, attack against liberalism, and I mean classic liberalism, not you know democratic liberals. Uh, so it's very, I mean it's very very frightening when people as ignorant as Marjorie Taylor Greene are in charge of. Republican policy, or someone as eager to go to war as Lindsey Graham is. David, let me ask you this then. Have you ever heard of something called SRDS? SRDS? I don't think so. What <laughs> sudden, it's called Sudden Russian Death Syndrome. <laughs> and, oh, that, you know, okay, I know that is. Of, of course. I mean, you, you've seen Russian oligarchs dropping dead like flies, and probably... Not probably, because they've offended Putin somehow. Now, one of the things that I'm fearful of is that this same sort of behavior will be followed by Donald if, in fact, that he ever has the opportunity and ends up back into the office. There's going to be people dropping like flies. You know, it's... it's it's not funny. It's it's scary and it's sad all at the same time. But there's this one story from uh, like December. There was a Russian oligarch named Dmitry uh, Zelenov, who I think he was the last one to end up flying over something or another. But this guy mysteriously dies. He gets ill during a dinner party in the French Riviera. And somehow he ends up falling over a stair railing and, of course, dies of head injuries. Now, this shit's not going unnoticed, by the way, by the Russian people. Not so sure what they can do about it, but it's certainly being noticed. Do you have any intel or any feelings on how regular Russians are feeling about Putin's war, for example, in the Ukraine? Yeah. I mean, is there any sense that the people in Russia could res- could revolt against what he's doing yeah. in Ukraine? I mean, it's like so like the most dangerous thing for a Russian who is opposed to Putin to encounter these days seems to be a balcony, right? You know, there's just so many people <laughs> yeah. falling off balconies. I mean, it doesn't happen that often in any other place, any other locations in the world. Um, you know, a few th- thoughts in reference. I mean, it, it seems right now that the the Russian public is, you know, is while they may not be happy with the war, they're not a they're not they're not happy with it because it's not going the way they want it to. Not because the war itself is wrong. And if you listen, you know, there's really only state media now. All the independent media has been driven out of the country, and the state media 
you know, spokes, you know, commentators, the Tucker Carlson's and 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 and, and, and Laura Ingrams of Russia TV are out there somewhat upset. That the war is going uh, is is not over and it's it's still taking this long, but they're still feeding all the lies that this war is happening because Russia was attacked because Ukraine is not a real state and they're Nazis and they are talking about how the U.S. and NATO planned all this and the, this is a defensive war to protect the uh, Russia from the uh, from the designs of of NATO and the United States. Just the other day, one of the top Russian commentators talked about how they should use what he called the Poseidon device, which is a nuclear bomb that's detonated underwater to create a tsunami that would flood all of England, all the the British Isle. And um, I mean, so there is still in in a war mine, and that is the propaganda that is penetrating through the country. And so there are few signs. Uh, that there's any growing opposition politically greater than there has been to the war and to Putin, who still seems to have his heel on uh, on the neck of, of Russia. But, you know, two other thoughts in regards to what you just said. I'll quickly say I was very happy that the Academy Award for Best Documentary went to this film called Navani about Alexei, Alexei Navani, who is, you know, a courageous opposition leader. Who um, you know, who's been jailed by Putin. It's a great film. I recommend people watch it. It's very moving and it you know shows you the courage that one man you know, can have, you know, going back to Russia after being poisoned by Russian agents and nearly dying, knowing that he would be jailed. And so um I was happy to see that he got more attention. People should, you know, keep him in mind and keep their eye on that case and be supportive on social media. But the other thing you talked about in terms of Trump emulating uh, Mohammed bin Salam and other autocrats was if you go back, you know, just a couple, two weeks ago and look at what he said at the, um, at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, you know, he gave a very angry speech, a very dark speech, uh, like the inauguration speech, American Carnage. And he told the crowd and the conservative movement out there, that you know that 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 liberals and democrats are basically out to get you and destroy you destroy the country you love and i will be your retribution that is a fascist or fascistic sentiment now, not to say i will fight for our policies i will you know i will represent your interests but i will be your avenging angel and i see the world in these uh in, in these tribalistic terms uh, and I will go after your enemies. I will smite them. I will be your retribution. That to me, you know, he said things like that, but the way he put it that day, I thought was very chilling. And, you know, each time he does something like this, like when he basically endorsed QAnon in September, retweeted a anti-Semitic tweet, then met with Kanye and Nick Fuentes for dinner, noted white nationalist and fascist and Nazi Hitler lover. You know, these are all steps towards, you know, bringing his authoritarian and autocratic impulses out into the open and making them selling points for him. And that, to me, well, that speech was pretty, uh, as I said, damn chilling in that regard. Yeah, it was fucking dark, to say the least. So 
We don't have to spend a lot of time on DeSantis in this, but what's happening right now in Florida, to me, is an abomination. The question that I'm asking is, how and why is Ron DeSantis still popular in that state? And let's say that Trump is indicted. Do the voters then flock to DeSantis nationwide? Or is there someone else in the wings that Republican voters might be looking for? You know, I don't really quite understand exactly what's happened with Florida. One explanation that someone presented to me was that Florida is, is one of these states where the average level of education, you measure it in high school, college, whatever, has actually gone down in recent years. Um, I don't know if if that's indeed true. I haven't fact checked that. I don't know if that would explain. You know, you know, it used to be. You know, it voted the majority of Floridians voted for Al Gore and for Barack Obama, and now Florida seems to be somewhat lost to the Democrats. In part, the Democratic Party has imploded there for all sorts of reasons. But uh, the population seems to have shifted too to become you know more more right, more nationalistic, more, you know, more crazy. Um, and that, you know, put some sail into Santos's win. And he's been passing these bills. I wrote about this the other day. We, you know, we used to call states the laboratories of democracy. I think that was a term from Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. But now with Florida, it's like the laboratory of, of autocracy. And you have DeSantis passing these bills to have the governor, in essence, take over public universities and colleges and get rid of minors um, and majors that he doesn't like, gender studies and critical race theory, um, and get rid of, you know, some degree of tenure uh, to make it harder for the media to do its job and make it easier to sue the media for defamation so that people in power will, will have less scrutiny against them that don't say gay bill, the the woke bill, anti-woke bill. I mean, and it's passed, all this stuff is passing the Florida state legislature. And I, you know, it, and they're all, you know, serving an authoritarian impulse. I, I, you know, I don't know why Florida goes for this. I don't, I hope, and I don't think the rest of the country wants something like this, but we'll see if he runs for office. And you ask, you know, what happens, you know, if Trump isn't the nominee, you know, who you know who might be and i mean i have a hard time believing that if trump's you know survives the race and you know and isn't forced out because of health issues or anything else that he doesn't that he doesn't win even if he's indicted he can continue to run for president i don't know you know when trials might be i mean i you know we've never had a situation i don't think the people who wrote the constitution felt that they had a put this into the constitution but what if someone's in jail can they not you know i think didn't lyndon larouche run for president from jail yes uh, yes right so uh what happens if you know uh, you can't you know if he's if he if he is in prison and this is a big if very big if i acknowledge that can he still run for president and what if he happens to win i mean it's really uncharted ground i don't you know here's an interesting question I was going to say something, but I have to think about it. I don't, if he is indeed indicted, let alone convicted, 
you know, will can he will, will, will Republican voters still vote for him, or might enough of them say, "I love him. He's been persecuted. This is unfair." But we need somebody out of jail to win, and therefore vote for right. Santos or Nikki Haley for some other reason. Um, I, I don't know. The, as I said, this is all uncharted. The Republican base, whether it's 30 or 40 or 50 percent of the Republican universe, or maybe bigger, are clearly still with Trump ideologically, psychologically. Um, you know, will they find a reason to vote for someone else who they because they think that other person can actually will have a better chance of being a Democrat? Perhaps. Um you know, uh, all I can predict, and it's no prediction, Michael, is, you know, particularly if DeSantis gets in this race, it's going to be, um, it's just going to be warfare and a roller coaster and a, and a circus and a WWE wrestling match all thrown into one. David, here's the big, here's the, the question that I, I want to just follow, because, you know, you know that our conversations go by very quick. The hour is almost up. There was a poll that was conducted. It's an Ipsos poll. And it dealt with the question of woke and wokeness. Now, 56% of Americans consider woke a positive term, right? Right. Meaning to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustices. And the same poll found that even more then a third of Republicans agree with that. 39% agreed that it has a negative connotation to it, right? Of some, something that really has nothing to do with it. To be overly politically correct is the way that they described it. Now, Ron DeSantis is the guy who came up and made the statement that Florida is where woke goes to die. Okay, how do you then expect to win a general election when the vast majority of the country doesn't believe what you believe? And so I agree with you that I don't think Ron DeSantis will be the GOP nominee. My hope is that there's a hidden member of the Republican Party that may actually be able to step out of the out of the shadows, right? Maybe it won't be this month, maybe next month, maybe whenever it is hypothetically that Donald gets indicted and again, Ron DeSantis has no shot nationally. So maybe somebody new steps out and actually becomes a legitimate candidate to take on whether it's Joe Biden or somebody else. Who do you think that person could be? I don't see it. I mean, I I think, you know, right now, a plurality, if not a majority of Republican voters are, are still motivated by the grievances, biases, ang- you know, um, hatreds, uh, angriness that Trump has exploited. And that Whoever to you know to get the nomination, somebody maybe Trump again will have to do the same thing. I think the the issue to me is not candidates; it's where the Republican base is, and I think it's still at that point where 
only a red meat candidate who, you know, promises to be uh, the actor of retribution and to embody these grievances and racial biases, whatever you want to call it, is the person who is going to win. And so um, there may be others who try to get in on that game other than DeSantis. But, you know, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, comes in and tries to be the, you know, I'm above it all. I'm a good look. I'm a good guy. I like talking to the other side. I'm not a hater. I don't think that person wins a, a Republican primary. That's, you know, that's that's my um, that's that's my judgment. And so if it's not Trump, I think DeSantis has, you know, has a shot at it. I don't know who else uh, might get into this race. Um, it's a, you know, it's it's a, you know, Nikki Haley's trying, will we'll try to stay out of it. But if she becomes a threat to Trump, you know, he'll do to her what he did to Carly Fioroni, uh, Fiorini and others and, and, and force her to play dirty and she'll either have a, you know, and that'll be hard to escape. So I, I, I don't see um, a positive Republican candidate on the horizon, particularly one who can come in and win the hearts and minds, the angry hearts and angry minds of Republican primary voters. I don't think that I don't think this fever has has, has burnt out yet. Well, what a terrible, terrible thing. If you think about it, 360 million Americans, let's say 250 million are of the age uh, to run for the presidency, and the GOP doesn't have a single decent member of their, of their group that they could put up against somebody as tainted and damaged as Donald Trump. But David, let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us today. Um, I will hopefully see you very soon, my friend. We have a lot to talk about and looking forward to you coming back on Mea Culp in the future. Thank you, Michael. And now for today's Mea Culpa. I'm going to keep this short and sweet, my friends, but I want to say thank you to the Mea Culpa community for your absolutely incredible support for our show and for my journey. It really does mean a lot to me. These last few weeks have been challenging, and the concern that you've shown for the safety of me and my family has been absolutely outstanding. Now, I do want to say that we're tough, but we're human. And just knowing that people out there care is really what keeps us going. I've told you many times that I won't stop until justice is done. And I'm keeping that promise. You may remember when I said it to God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings. I made that good man a promise and I'm going to keep that promise. So come what may, it doesn't matter. I will keep that promise. But that said, it's a good time to be alive. The wheels of justice are turning, and all that we can do now is hope that slow and steady wins the race. Ethical people in courtrooms across the country have kept America afloat. Judges shut down Trump's bogus claims of election fraud in case after case. And no matter their politics, no matter their religion, they actually upheld the law. So remember that when your faith starts to wane. 
The Supreme Court may not be a good example, but the lower courts saved our democracy. And I predict that good judges, good lawyers and lawmakers are going to help us to get out of this mess and put us back on track. Justice is an abstract concept until you've been wronged. Then it's all that you can think about. And I don't think that anything will drive a person insane like injustice. Look, it hangs over your life like an anvil until it's made right. And that's what I'm trying to do, my friends. I'm trying to make it right. And I'm not alone. We seem to all be in this all together. And the law is on our side. Alvin Bragg and Fannie Willis are on our side of what's right. And then, of course, there's Jack Smith, a man of action. And I'm fairly sure that he won't disappoint us by playing politics or worrying about past precedents. Because we are indeed in unprecedented times. Nothing like this has ever happened in United States history before. But then again, no one like Donald J. Trump has ever become president before. And there are reasons for that. Americans, for the most part, prefer their leaders to take the moral high ground, to pay their taxes, to treat people fairly, and to actually love the country that they represent. Unfortunately, Trump isn't capable of doing those things. He's a small and venal man who will try and rob America blind. He will fucking lie to you to your face. And he thinks that he'll get away with it. Well, guess what? Guess what, Donald? Not on my watch. And not on yours either. Together, we have stood up to the evil that MAGA hath brought and represents. And together that we will defeat it. So let's just pray that our children learn from these events and that they cherish the democracy that we almost lost. We witness history in the making, and it isn't over yet. We need to get to the truth, make sure that justice is served, and then never, ever, ever fucking let it happen again. And hey, from the bottom of my heart, and I really mean it, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is